are listening to Mansplaining Manhood. Where two nobodies, actually three nobodies, talk about that greatest somebody. I'm Justin. I'm Jay. And I'm Fred. Welcome back, folks. As you heard, we got Fred back in the studios once more. Two weeks in a row, Fred. This is unbelievable. Fred, yeah. He's back for another episode. He couldn't stay away, guys. I can't get enough of these two guys. The egg sandwich was just so phenomenal. Now they've got me drinking chocolate. <laughs> he fell for the fanciness of it, guys. <laughs> Good stuff. Welcome back to M Square. We are going to talk about two principles today that contrast the world's way and God's way. And it's all based off of last week on the truth. When we thought about truth, where we get truth. As men, we need to know the truth. We need to have the uh, distinction between the world and reality. We talked about the dangers of that last week and believe in lies. We're tricked, duped into believing lies, or sometimes we just don't know it's a lie. Many times we don't. And the way you behave and respond and react to life and lies is detrimental to our health, to ourselves, to other people, and ultimately the world. And a lot of it is the reason that we find ourselves on the FBI's top crimes list. It become that 72.5% of all crime committed by men. Yep. yep. Because people believed lies and actually followed their heart. So we don't want to follow our heart. We want to avoid that. And we want to talk about what to follow and how to follow it. And that's defined by truth. So we're going to go over some practical truths. Here's the first principle. The world says, if it feels good do it. God says, do good even when it feels bad. But Jay, it feels so good. I know. Shouldn't we do what feels good all the time? Absolutely. Hey, my truth, your truth. Shouldn't we just always do what we want to do? Fred, what do you think? Should we just do what we want? I sure don't want to inflict any pain or discomfort on myself. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I better, I better do what feels good. If you feel that you should do what's good... When it's really bad, then what? Like, I want to do what feels good. Like, not paying my bills will feel really good. Yeah, because you can go out to dinner. You can go spend your money on toys. There's a lot of other things I could spend my money on, so it feels good to me to not have to pay bills. If you own a house, you have to cut the grass. It feels good not to cut that grass in the middle of the day because mm -hmm. it's hot. But let it go for a few weeks. Been there and done Ooh, that. Yeah, that's a hard lesson. Thing. It's hard when it's all overgrown. Yeah, now you can work three times harder. The world's always saying that. Do what feels good. If it feels good, do it. And we talked about that last week, too. That's following your heart. The Remember the Hallmark Council? Absolutely. Justin, follow your heart, man. Just do what feels right in your own heart. Be true to yourself, Justin. We gave some easy practical examples. An example, hey, it feels good to cheat on my wife. This other woman over here, she wants me. Who doesn't think sex feels good? Man, it's wonderful, but that's bad because that's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your guilt and your conscience. Oh, man, and... it's going to eat away. To do good means I'm going to resist temptation go, no, that's wicked. I'm not going to have sex that's not with my spouse. That's crazy. That's holding a principle. Knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong, temptation comes in all ways, whether that's with food or sexual desires, you name it. How about this? I love heroin. It feels good. Should I do it? I wouldn't know that, but I, narcotics feel good. I'm yeah. sure. When you've had a surgery or something, those really feel good, but you don't want to do them for too long. And this is why what we talked about last week when you said the world really doesn't 
in their heart believe this a hundred percent because you would never tell someone, Justin, you like heroin, follow your own heart, man. Go for it. The logic doesn't work. It's not practical. When you take it to extremes like that, it fails. Every time. But God says, do good even when it feels bad. But I want to do heroin. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Do what's right instead. Because a lot of time, what's doing what's right is doing stuff you don't want to do. You do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. How about selling drugs or stealing a car? Man, it feels good now. I get instant gratification. I can get instant money. I don't have to go work hard for it. It's just there. It's quick. It's easy money. The hard part later is what? You're going to go to jail. You're going to spend time away from your family, your kids, your wife, whatever your life situation is. Spend years away. And then you have to come back. Good luck trying to find a job again. Now you've got a stain on your record. Whereas, no, I'm not going to take the easy path out. I'm not going to do the easy money. I'm going to work hard, work smart, save my money. And build my wealth. And that may, may take 15, 20, 30 years to do so. It's better than losing all your life and then still being dirt poor at the end of the 30 years. How does this translate to manhood? Do good even when it feels bad. I'm thinking sacrificing and giving, being the most loving, hmm. the most responsible, the most sacrificial. As the man in the home, taking care of your family. Simple things like we run out of milk. Somebody's got to go get it. Am I going to do good? even when it feels bad, when I don't feel like going or other things, paying the bills, doing dishes we use all the time, loving my family, wrapping my arms around my kids, doing things that take energy when I don't feel like doing it. Am I going to do it or am I going to do what feels good? Sitting on the couch, not going, not being responsible, not being loving, not spending time with my kids. That's what happens. And that's goes back to our four principles, man, that I'm going to reject passivity. I'm going to accept responsibility, lead courageously, invest eternally, doing things I don't want to do. As men, we don't do a good job of that. No, we don't. This principle really hits home and it's important. And I would even say non-Christians would agree with this principle. They just want to take God out of it. That's right. But mm. yeah, they would agree. They're like, yeah, you know what? If it feels good, do it isn't as important as doing good even when it feels bad. We should do good even when it feels bad. It just so happens it comes from the Bible. Yeah, listen, ask a financial advisor if you should save for retirement. Mm. They'll tell you, it's pretty wise. Invest. Even though it's going to hurt right now. That's right. You'll sacrifice now. But hey, when you're 70 and unable to work and unable to move, you'll have money set aside. So doing what's right often moves against the grain of the world by requiring something that's inconvenient, costly, and sometimes even life-threatening. Doing good even when it feels bad? What do you say about that when it comes to sacrificing your life on behalf of someone else? Mm. That's the ultimate. Pushing a child out of of the way of a bus, that's going to feel bad. Oh, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt a lot of people in your family and in your life. Should you do it or should you do what feels good at that moment? How about going to war? Throughout all history, going to war for your country. Does that feel good? Or are you doing what's right instead? I look up the history of how we got our national anthem. There's a nice little video on YouTube that explains the history of it. I think it really gives a good depiction of it. And all those men and women that sacrificed their lives for our freedom. 
from the British so we can live here in America. 100, 200 years later, here we are with yeah. freedom. Doing good when it feels bad doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can, most oftentimes, it's admitting something, admitting you're wrong, taking responsibility for being wrong. That doesn't feel good when you're doing it, but it's the right thing to do. Feels good later when you reap the benefits of being honest with yourself and with someone else. It's not easy to do, but it's the right thing. How about well, apologizing, admitting that you're wrong, like Fred just said, and then asking someone to forgive to you. To say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and being honest about it and not being- Superficial. Yeah. yeah, being a genuine, honest, I am sorry, please forgive me. That's hard. I guess that's why you shouldn't force your kids to say that they're sorry to each other. Yeah, and that's difficult in a marriage, in married almost 46 years, have not always been honest and not always taken the hard. Fred's been married for a long time. That's a lot of life lessons there. What would have happened in your marriage if you only did what feels good? We'd have been divorced a long time ago. You would have been on marriage five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably at least three. Hey, uh, do you think that's why a lot of marriages, more than 50% end in divorce? Because people are doing what feels good. Absolutely. Rather than doing good, even when it feels bad. We went through a tough time in life. We went through several. But in the um, early 80s, 82 to be exact, I lost a job that I thought was going to be my life for the next 30 years or so. Along with thousands of other people during that time in our area of Illinois. I look back at that time, and it's only our faith that got us through in the truth of our faith. Because I look at so many of our friends and even family, divorce became the answer because it just felt best in that situation for them to do that. The money problems lead to all these other problems and it felt easier and better just to get out of that situation, but it wasn't. And I'm not saying we had easy times. If we had ever thought about divorce, it was in our early years here in Florida because, and it was mainly me that was unhappy. I didn't want to be here in Florida. I hated this place. The feel good thing would have been to just, I'm sorry, honey, but you can stay whatever you want to do, but I'm going back. I can't stand this place. Yeah. We didn't do that. We worked through it, had some good counsel from some friends, one friend in particular that confronted me. And we chose the hard way. So doing what's good, even when it feels bad, doesn't mean that Christians are against pleasure or that doing what is right is against pleasure. We talk about this sometimes, the principle of easy now and hard later, or hard now and easy later. You talk about that even financially. Saving now is a hard thing to do, but later it's easy. But if I blow my money now, that's easy now. I get to go spend all that money I would have saved. I have that available to me. Or... That's easy now, but hard later. Man, I got to pay that stuff back with interest. I don't have a retirement fund. I'm going to work the rest of my life. And that principle works in, in so many ways. But we're not against pleasure. The problem is we are too easily pleased. We think, oh, I love women and money and cars, all this material stuff. Go get it. That's the only thing that's going to make me happy. C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. You only want money and girls and sex and material things and cars. That's all you want? <laughs> you don't want eternal truth and eternal joy forever? Eternal life? You just want sex and women and money? 
Oh, you think you want those, but those never bring you true happiness. Yeah, they never do. They promise joy, but they never deliver it. Because that goes back to what we're talking about, men trying to be alone. Stop trying to be loners. You think having sex with 10,000 different women brings you happiness, but it doesn't. You're still alone. You're still looking for companionship. You still want to spend your life with somebody, even if you're unwilling to admit it. So the hard thing is wait for a woman, marry a woman, be patient with that wife, and then enjoy companionship. Or even in singleness. We were never created to be alone. No. You can't be single and withdraw from society no. and be happy. That's You've not got how it. we're wired. And that's what we were talking about a few weeks ago. You need friends. You need people who are going to hold you accountable. You can't be a recluse. You need men to hold you accountable. Good men, not just the acquaintance. Not or the guys at the bar. If you and your buddy wants to go to the bar and you guys are close friends, you have a good relationship, you guys can actually communicate about life, have real good, honest, deep conversations. Soul level. Yeah. Soul level conversations. Men build relationships when they build things and they do activities together. But when you do those, communicate. It's I mean, got to move deeper. It's got to go somewhere where it's sharing, talking about stuff that's difficult and bearing each other's burdens. That's hard in today's society to build relationships like that, doing the hard thing. Because today with social media and especially now working at home, people aren't out building relationships, doing the hard thing of building those relationships. It's easy to withdraw now. It's not good for us. No. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We settle for less. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're children playing in the mud, eating mud pies. We're being offered chocolate cake or pie would pick the sweet treat that you're missing out on the good sweet stuff of life guys are are not interested in deep eternal joyful things we're too distracted trying to be seniors in high school our whole lives chasing girls trying to get the next thing and try to keep our youthful behavior when there's so much deeper and better we're too easily pleased that brings us to the next principle the world says Turn your back on those who wrong you. But God says, turn your back on the wrong and forgive those who wrong you. That principle, that's probably why you have such a high divorce rate right there. You wrong me, you offend me, you don't get along with me, we don't have the same interest anymore. That's probably because you didn't actually build your relationship together from the first principle. And then this falls into that next principle. You're going to turn your back, divorce, not even care. What's God say? He says, turn your back on the wrong. Forgive your spouse, forgive those who wrong you, and actually build that relationship. That's a hard principle. How many times have you lost a friend because you couldn't forgive them? You see this in dating in high school. And I always say dating in high school is practicing divorce because if I don't get what I want from you, I'm done. I'm not even going to waste time forgiving and working on it. I'm going to find another guy. I'm going to find another girl who's going to give me what I want. So I turn my back on those who wrong me. Those who wrong me, who, who don't give me what I want, I'm going to turn my back on them. God says something completely different. Your enemies, don't bomb them. Don't destroy them. Don't kill them. Don't cancel them. Instead, forgive them. Turn your back on the wrong and forgive them. Love your enemies. Isn't that odd? That's one of those very foreign things. 
The world doesn't say love your enemy. The world says hate your enemy. We were talking last week about politics. If that's not so true in that realm, mm. hate the person who just disagrees with you. We used to disagree politically. That there were differences of opinion. But in the end, we would go out to dinner together. Now it's hateful. It is spiteful. It's unbelievable how politics has changed. Yeah, it's turned violent, burning cities to the ground with the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. You can read it on the news that these pro-life clinics are being sabotaged and attacked. Recently, I saw a video, and I could not believe what one of our senators said. She said that doing things to help both the baby in the womb and the woman are just fooling people. And they've taken away the right to abort that baby. And therefore they're not legitimate. And she wants to actually shut down all these clinics, thousands of them that are doing good for women and for children, simply because they will not give you what you think is right, what feels good at the moment, that abortion. The easy now is I don't have to take responsibility. I don't have to go through the body changes. The hard later is that stuff sticks with you. Years later, it sticks with you. You have to know and you have to own that, especially if you've had an abortion and then have children later. Like you see the difference, your love for that child. That abortion a lot of times causes a lot of women health issues, physical, mental, and emotional. That's, there's a lot that goes into that abortion. Here's the hard part. Turn your back on the wrong. So we've got the people that we vehemently disagree with, and we know they're wrong, but we're to forgive them. Absolutely. 100%. A woman who has an abortion, that's wrong, but we have to separate that wrong and forgive them. They need forgiven. They need to be loved. They have believed in a lie, and if you don't love that person, how are they ever going to receive the truth? Love those who you disagree with. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. We can disagree. I have coworkers and good dear friends that disagree on this topic right here. Love them to death. They're as wrong as I'll get out. They're believing the lie of the world. But practically, if you ask them, would, would you go murder somebody? They're like, no. So they understand the value of life. They just don't want to see the truth, probably because they don't want to be seen in that light. And it's usually what it is. I don't want to be seen as a bad guy. I don't want to be seen as a bad person. So I'm going to go ahead and believe a lie. On mansplaining manhood here, we always point back to Jesus. And we want to point back to him actually living out these principles we're talking about over the next few weeks, 99 of them. In what way did Jesus turn his back on the wrong and forgave those who wronged him? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the moment of being wronged, he did. In the middle of being beaten, lashed. He said, they don't know what they do. Father, yeah. forgive them. Being executed at that moment, he already had the gears of forgiveness going mm. because that's all he did is what's right. He was always ready to forgive. He didn't have to get over it. He didn't have to work through it. He was all always living out and acting out the act of forgiveness. That's incredible. And that's why he's our example. If we're going to truly trust this principle, we need to talk a little more about forgiveness. So let's continue talking about Jesus because he taught forgiveness. He didn't only do it. He wasn't a hypocrite. He, he did it and he taught us to do it because he always did manhood things. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 summarizes it. Peter thought he was slick. He comes up to Jesus and he says, 
How often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? Because in the Bible, seven's the perfect number. number. So Peter's trying to be slick. Is it seven times? And Jesus says, no, it's not seven times. Not only seven times, 70 times seven. And that's not even the number. The whole point of that was never stop. You forgive. Always ready to forgive again. And why? Because that's what God does. Because he continues to forgive us. If God only forgave us seven times, we wouldn't be forgiven right now. No. When you don't forgive, you hold a grudge and you hold hatred in your heart. And that hatred becomes bitterness. And scripture calls that murder. You don't want to murder your brother. You don't want to murder someone who's wronged you. Forgive them. That bitterness grows and turns into something beyond what you ever intended it to be. What did Jesus say about hatred? If you have hatred in your heart, what is it? Murder. It's murder. Because hatred is the seed form of murder. You murder someone because you hate them. That hatred has grown so large because of lack of forgiveness that we often end up, 73% of the time, according to the FBI, we do murderous things. Peter agrees with Jesus in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So how are we supposed to forgive? In what way? What method do we forgive? In the way Christ forgave us. When you think about when someone wrongs you and it's about an inch thick, and you think about all that Christ has forgiven you, and it's miles high, how does that one inch of wronging compare to all that Christ has forgiven you? That one inch of wrong is easily forgotten when you have an infinite amount of wrongs you've done against God and he's forgiven you for them. The way that God forgave you is the way you forgive someone else. And we're going to talk about how that happened in a minute. Another place in the Bible, there's many. These are just a few we're throwing out here. Colossians chapter 3, 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It starts there. Forgive people. There it is again. How do we forgive? Just as the Lord has forgiven you. Let's spend the last couple minutes we have and talk about how God has forgiven us and how we're supposed to forgive others. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not about forgetting what that other person did to you. If your child was raped, you don't let that rapist back in your house. And you're definitely not going to forget it. No. God, no. Mm -hmm. Again, you talk about your child being murdered. You going to forget that? No. That's why forgiveness isn't about forgetting. Those are extreme cases. What is forgiveness about, Fred? It's choosing to remember and delight in what Christ has already done for you on the cross so that you can extend that same mercy to them. Yes, choosing, my friend. As men, an authentic man forgives. That's a hard thing to do. And that's a choice. And that's why we always do what's right and what's good, even if we don't feel like it. Forgiving someone, I don't think ever feels good. Lead courageously and be the first one to forgive. That's accepting responsibility. And rejecting passivity. It's also vesting eternally. Choosing to remember what God did because he forgave us when we didn't deserve it. So in turn, I'm supposed to forgive someone. They didn't deserve it either, but I'm doing what God did. He forgave me when I didn't deserve it. I'm going to extend that grace to someone who wronged me. We'll go through four practical principles. What's the first one? Decide that you will bear the burden of each person's sins. 
That means that you will not retaliate in the future by using the information about their sin against them. Mm. All true forgiveness is substitutionary as Christ's forgiveness of us was. Remember, when you choose to forgive, you are saying, I will not bring this matter up to you, the offender, again in a hurtful way in the future. Yikes. I forgive you for what you did to me, but I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to keep rubbing this in your face while I tell you I forgive you. And the next time we have an argument or you make the same mistake again, here comes that grenade. You remember that time? Clink, here's that pin, and I'm going to launch that grenade right on at you. You may not do that to the offender, but then I will not bring this matter up to others. Oh, I can't rehash this thing over and over again? Yeah, that's the second one. So, Fred, if you wrong me, I can't go, Jay, you won't believe what Fred did. I forgave him because I'm a good guy. But yeah. you won't believe what this Fred guy did to what me. A, this can happen on social media, too. I'm not going to bring it up to him, but I'm going to tell the whole world. It'll be in the form of, guys, I'm such a nice guy. I forgave this Fred guy because this is what he did to me. But I forgave him because I'm a good guy. Like I don't think you really forgave him, did you? Yeah. Remember, if you're bringing this up to the person in a harmful way, and if you're bringing this up to other people, even if it's social media, you are not forgiving. Know that you are not forgiving. Here's another one. I will choose not to dwell on it myself. And that means rehashing it and nursing in your head. You're just replaying that same scene over and over. And then you blow up and no one even knows why. Even if I don't bring it up to you and I don't bring it up to someone else and I sit home and I'm stewing on this, what happened is wrong and I can't believe they did this to me. You are not forgiving if you're doing that. Because forgiving is action. Giving is an action. It's not just a thought or a concept. It is doing things, not bringing it up in a hurtful way to the person, not bringing it up to others, not choosing to stew on it. And what's the last one? I will not allow this hurt to keep me from rebuilding closeness with the one who hurt me. I can't just write you off for what you did to me. I can't cancel it. No cancelable culture allowed. Because if I write you off and don't rebuild closeness with you after you wrong me, I am not being forgiving. No, you've never forgiven. If you can't rebuild, if you can't continue that relationship, you've never really forgiven that person. And this is what truth is, because we're talking about what truth is here, and we're always pointing back to Jesus. Jesus does all four of these things in his forgiveness. The Bible says to forgive like God forgave us. Jesus doesn't bring it up to you again in the future. He's not going to bring this matter up to someone else. He doesn't sit and dwell on this, and he doesn't allow it to stop rebuilding closeness with you. This is the definition of forgiveness. And if you're not doing it, you're not forgiving. Knowing what truth is matters. Knowing this allows you to perform forgiveness. And you might not feel good about carrying out these four principles, but it is true and it is forgiving. And hopefully, usually, those feelings of forgiveness will follow when you act these out because your feelings follow your thinking. That's right. You're choosing to do what is hard now but easy later because you'll have that friend still. Any last comments before we wrap this week up? We are out of time. Continue on practicing forgiveness. Take some practical advice that we give this week and apply them. If you've got any thoughts or questions, hit us up. Email us. Reach out to us. Our email is mansplainingmanhood at gmail.com. We also started an Instagram account, and it's called Mansplaining Manhood. Check it out. We'll be better at posting. We're going to try, guys. We're not good at it. <laughs> We're doing things beyond what we're comfortable with. Fred, thanks for coming back. Hope to see you soon. I love you guys. Thanks for being here in J Square M Square Studios. All right, guys. Bye.